the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Ronald Reagan. Those were the first two words in English that Yaramir Yager learned. Uh, his idol was Mario Lemieux when he was growing up, and he had a picture of Lemieux on his bedroom wall, a poster, but he also had a poster of Ronald Reagan. Now, he was a kid in Czechoslovakia, and Ronald Reagan made it possible for him to play hockey for the Penguins. As you probably know, there was a big celebration for Yager yesterday at PPG Arena, and uh, his number was retired. But if not for Reagan, he would have never gotten out of Czechoslovakia. When the Soviet Union was in charge, kids in Czechoslovakia could play for the national team. Maybe they could play against Russia, but they couldn't come to the NHL, not unless they defected. Yager wore the number 68 because of the Russian invasion of Czechoslovakia in 1968 when his family's farm was confiscated by the Russians. It's hard to imagine that now, but it was very very real for hockey players behind the Iron Curtain until Ronald Reagan won the Cold War for the United States. Yager was the fifth player taken in the draft by the Penguins in 1990, but he would have been picked higher than that if it were not for the doubts about whether he was going to be able to get out of the country. And Craig Patrick, the former general manager who drafted him back in 1990, said yesterday during the uh, celebration that Yager had told the other teams in the NHL that he would not leave Czechoslovakia to play for any other team other than Pittsburgh because he wanted to play with Lemieux. Well, it was a great ceremony yesterday when they raised his jersey up to the ceiling, and Yager did a great job on his speech. He thanked everybody, but unless I missed it, I don't think he thanked Ronald Reagan. Might have been nice if he had. And all the Penguins fans who enjoyed that ceremony yesterday and who enjoyed watching Yager play here in Pittsburgh for all those years also uh, have Ronald Reagan to thank. When we come back, uh, we're going to have the author of a book called Rediscovering America here to talk about what George Washington and Abraham Lincoln would think about what's happening in America today, which, in case you've forgotten, is President's Day. And in our second half hour, we're going to have John Lott Jr. to talk about what else, the Kansas City shooting and gun laws. Stick around. Well, today is uh, President's Day, in case you had forgotten, and it's a day for honoring George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. Scott Powell is the author of Rediscovering America and a senior fellow at the Discovery Institute. He joins us now. Scott, thanks for coming on again. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Great so, to be with you. So um, what should we, or I guess um, more importantly, kids in school, be rediscovering about Washington and Lincoln these days? Well, there's a, for kids in school, they need to focus on <clears throat> the greatness of these people and that <clears throat> they need to connect what they, what they represented, uh, what they did, what they said um, to... Uh, shaping the current situation, the current our current world is so departed from uh, the greatness of mind and statesmanship uh, and, and virtuous 
uh, orientation that existed in earlier times, particularly in the time of Washington and Lincoln. These were these were pretty incredible guys. Um, <clears throat> you know, yet and when you think about them, well, you know, Washington was the key founder of the United States, the commander in chief of the Continental Army, which defeated Great Britain, the greatest military power in the world at that time. Later, Washington presided over the Constitutional Convention and was unanimously elected uh, as the first president of the United States, and he was unanimously elected for a second term. Um, Less than a century later, after Washington's time, Lincoln became the 16th president, and he also was a wartime commander-in-chief who presided over the start and the end of the Civil War. Um, And in so doing, he set the stage for national reunification, ending the scourge of slavery and saving the United States from division. Uh, In short, you could say that Lincoln saved the republic that Washington made possible. And um, they're incredible people, both of them. They're very different, um, but they each have great stories to tell. Well, how are their stories being told uh, in school these days? Well, as we know, look, we we know that... uh, let me let me shape it in a bigger narrative that holidays <clears throat> memorials monuments are more important than ever in america uh, as we face the infiltration of cultural marxism and the abysmal state of american history education and our failing public school system you know o- only a generation or two ago was understood that we in the present stand on the shoulders of great people like washington and lincoln who came before us in addition to appreciating and learning from uh, these kind of heroic figures, it was also understood that it's important to connect the present with the virtues of the past. All that has been torn away from us. So uh, holidays are an, an occasion uh, to sort of revive these stories, and that's what I did in Rediscovering America, which was a number one uh, bestseller uh, and new releases on history for eight straight weeks when it first came out, but it, it's a timeless book. Uh, it doesn't matter that it's a year and a half old. Uh, it, it's a book that speaks to us today about why we became the greatest nation in the world and how we can recover that greatness. We, we certainly don't have a government right now that's uh, at all oriented towards uh, making America great. Well, uh, there's an expression that I, uh, a character used in a Woody Allen movie that I always think about, I think he was talking about it was back in a time when the churches were the the some of the evangelical churches were having a lot of problems with corruption and you know all that stuff that was going on twenty thirty years ago, and he said if if Jesus came back and saw some of what was being done in his name today, he'd never stop throwing up. So I'm wondering if that could be said about Washington and Lincoln if they saw what was going oh. on right now. Oh, they wouldn't recognize. They wouldn't recognize America. I mean, put aside the the cars driving in the streets and the internet and the high technology and all that. When they would when they looked at American culture, they looked at people and how they interact, uh, and their manners, their mores, their culture. Uh, they would indeed think this is a foreign nation. This is, has no, no connection with what they remembered in their time. And in and, and their time, hey, there was corruption. There, you know, people uh, the law occasionally, but we're so far removed from a culture that celebrates goodness, 
uh, a culture that uh, puts common sense at the forefront of decision making and so forth. We we've uh, you know we are a country uh, you know we're a country that's very divided, very confused, and and I must say that it's not just the Americans' fault. We've had a major assault to take America down going on for decades. We just didn't realize it until now. But now we know. Now there's no excuse. We know exactly what's going on. Well, what- America is in the crosshairs of destruction by our enemies. <clears throat> and many of these enemies operate within the borders of the United States. We've had a huge influx over the border. But even before that, you know, we've got Congress people, you know, who hate America. I mean, it's, you know, we've almost become an ungovernable country, but thank goodness we have a constitution. Yeah, um, I was going to ask, who are the main culprits in this infiltration? Are we talking about um, Marxists in the in academia? Or are we talking about people, you mentioned people coming across the border, but how much of it is on the inside? Oh, right now, a lot of it's on the inside. Look, we've got a military that's gone woke. Mm -hmm. We have a secretary of defense, uh, you know, uh, Lloyd Austin, uh, you know, who has foisted diversity, equity, inclusion. And before that, uh, you know, he I don't know that he was presiding. He didn't have that role. Millie had that role um, uh when the critical race theory business was circulating in the military, but all of our military uh, academies uh, from West Point to the Naval Academy, right on down, they've all embraced ideologies and training that run contrary to the fundamental, to the fundamentals of a military order. Military order is based on merit. Number one, and, and encouraging merit in every way. It is based on a colorblind orientation, much like what Martin Luther King talked about, where, you know, he looked forward to the time when people would be evaluated by the quality of their character, uh, their merit, rather than the color of their skin. We've reintroduced, we've opened the wound of racism and infected the military with it. And so the military morale is at an all-time low maybe since the Vietnam War. They can't recruit people to go into the military. They can't meet their recruiting goals in any one of the branches of the military. Why is that? Because we have rotten leadership at the top. We have people that are selling out our country. These are traitors to the Constitution. Yeah, and um, didn't both Lincoln and Washington worry more about what you just described than outside forces? Being they what did. would bring that, the country down? That, that's why that was the, the the core of this article that got your attention. Yeah, yeah. was um, was the fact that that uh, they they understood uh, that uh, America, if, if should America run into trouble uh, and be threatened, it would not come from foreign invasion. It rather it would come from within. And they both, living in different times, uh, essentially focused in on this. Washington did so in his famous farewell address, which he referred to as, quote, a warning from a departing friend, a warning, a warning about the future. And it was so profound and so popular that it was reprinted more than the Declaration of Independence. 
It was prophetic in nature. It warned against three internal threats to liberty in the American Republic. And they're more relevant now than ever before. First, he warned about the failure of citizens to be well-informed. Second, he warned about the internal division because of party factions and hyper-partisanship. And third, he, he warned us about that the decline of religious obligation and morality would be the doom of the country. Well, that's a pretty good all description three, of what's going on right now. All three of these are fairly well inva- advanced in America today. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 the public is poorly informed. Admittedly, though, it's getting better. Why? Partially because, uh, you know, uh, Donald Trump exposed the failure of the major media to the American people. Mm-hmm. I mean, he didn't ever lose an occasion to point out that it was a fake media that the major media was all fake. It, it, it misreported news on a regular, ongoing basis. <laughs> and he repeated it enough that by the end of his administration, most people were, were convinced, yeah, it is a fake media. And we know it's fake. I mean, we knew before, but he really got the job done of discrediting the media and the public eye. Yeah, he's and so we had a rise too. of the alternative media. So people are learning about what's going on because they're no longer paying much attention to the major media. We're talking to Scott Powell. The book is Rediscovering America, How the National Holidays Tell an Amazing Story About Who We Are. Uh, It's really almost, uh, seems almost supernatural, the the wisdom that Washington had, um, because for him to say what he said, the the three um, factors that you just pointed out, the country was barely in existence and he, what was it that he would have seen that would have made him so prescient on something like that? Well, you know, Washington is is absolutely uh, incredible figure, and um, I, you know, many historians have written. Uh, you know, uh, he's been widely written about. Both these presidents have had plenty of biographies written about them. <clears throat> what I did in rediscovering America that was different than most others, was uh, to answer the question of why, why they were great men. I I, I didn't just document the who, what, when, and where. That's what Mm -hmm. historians typically do. Very few of them uh, address why, and they certainly don't get into spiritual matters. I mean, if you look in the index of most history books, (laughs) and you just look up Christianity, I mean, we, we, we are a Christian nation, largely, uh, a Christianity has shaped our early culture more than it does now. But you look in the history books, look up Christianity in the index, and you'll find sometimes a zero. You can't find it. In other words, there's no mention of the most important thing that shaped America in many history books. They're written from a secular perspective because the authors are secular. So they, they don't know how to get into the questions of you know, of Christianity <laughs> or, or religion. But that's so such an important part of of the of the why did why did Washington succeed against all odds in fighting the British? I mean, we were out, uh, you know, we were outnumbered by twofold or more. We were undertrained. The, the the Continental Army was undertrained. It was underfunded. It was underequipped. And then when you turn to the Navy, we had as many as seven merchant ships. These are merchant ships that were converted for military use. So you had, you know, cannons on the top deck, probably. <laughs> Meanwhile, the, the British show up with 250 warships. 
how were we going to win that war? And yet we did. And we won because of Washington and his, uh, his faith, his belief in God, his courage, his persistence. And, you know, he had such courage that he, you know, his, his people didn't want to leave him. I mean, even though they were, you know, they were sort of in bad shape. They, they had families at home. They had farms. But they stayed with Washington, even though they lost more battles than they won in the Revolutionary War. Washington lost more battles than he won. So how do you win that war? Well, you win it because you persisted to the end. You wore the enemy down. And then you got an incredible victory at Yorktown. And they finally said, you know, six years we couldn't we couldn't stop these people. I guess we better pick up our marbles and go back to Britain. And that's what <laughs> happened. So how would Washington feel about um, our alliance with Ukraine and Israel uh, and just and the proxy w- wars we're fighting now and even even our membership in the United Nations, for that matter? He, he would this would be abhorrent to Washington. Washington saw in America a God given country. I mean, uh, it, the, the story of the American birth, here's this vast, you know, uh, continent, if you will, but, uh, you know, the American territory. Of course, it was limited. They didn't even know how big it was when it was discovered. Um, but he saw, as the nation was formed, the opportunity to become a very successful country uh, where there was harmony and commerce and, and growth and opportunity and virtue. It must be stressed that he believed that we were called to live virtuous lives and that to the extent we could spread virtue in society, that it could, the culture could embrace virtue from Christianity, that we would mitigate the, the corrupting influences that they left behind in Europe. So he didn't want to have alliances with these corrupt foreign countries. He saw America as, you know, as a city on a hill. And and we could be self-sufficient. Why? Why we didn't need we didn't need anybody else. And it's really true. I mean, in the early days, we really didn't need. We 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 exported a lot of things. That's for sure. We exported a lot of agriculture, a lot of cotton, um, and so forth. But he 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 did he warned against the about he warned against foreign entanglements that no good could come of from foreign entanglements and i think history bears out that wisdom pretty well doesn't it yeah pretty well i'm out of time scott but um uh, real quick about 30 seconds why yeah. was that a slow erosion of of people uh, presidents and other people in positions of leadership in the country who just lost sight of that oh it's just a, like a a slow process that got us where we are now? It is a slow process. You know, look, one of the uh, one of the big problems with affluence, and America became a very affluent country, is that people begin to feel as though, gee, I did all this. You know, I created this wealth. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they, they don't look to the creator, to God, as really the, the one who enabled them uh, to achieve uh, their wealth and their greatness. So affluent people tend to walk away from God, and that's what that was, that's what concerned uh, Washington uh, was that 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 was a great danger to America, 
And we can see that America really was great well into the 20th century, but in, in the early 60s, we took prayer out of school and then we legalized abortion and we had you know all kinds of social movements from feminism on, which hurt the family. And it's just been a downhill slide for the last, really the last 60 years. America has really been culturally declining more rapidly than it was early in its history. Hey, uh, Scott, I really appreciate you being on. People should check your book out, Rediscovering America. Thank you. Thank you. Let's okay. do it again. Okay. Yep, that's Scott Powell. We'll be right back. Well, one woman was killed, over 20 people injured in the shootings in Kansas City uh, during the parade for the Chiefs. That was just last Wednesday, and it seems like they're doing a pretty good job of keeping the names of the shooters out of the news. Uh, John Lott Jr. is the president of the Crime Prevention Research Center, and he joins us now from Ecuador. Uh, very nice of you to uh, go on go on with us immediately after you get off the plane, John. Thanks for doing it. Uh, always great to talk to you, John. I appreciate you having me on. So, uh, how are how are how are things in Ecuador? Is there a revolution going on there or anything? Or you have to worry about me? <laughs> well, uh, they have had a lot of crime. Yeah. Uh, they have big drug gang problems down here. Uh, two years ago, the last kind of official murder rates were twenty six per hundred thousand people. Just to give you a comparison, the murder rate in the United States is a little bit over five per hundred thousand. Wow. Uh, but it's kind of the old joke about outrunning the bear. You don't need to outrun the bear. You just have to be faster than the other people you're with. Yeah, right. And uh, and the problem is is that uh, the president before the last uh, did a lot of things that made it so that it wasn't risky for uh, the drug cartels to set up shop in, in Ecuador. Uh, the new president that just uh, came into office uh, just last couple of months uh, has tried to be a lot tougher. He still has things he has to do. Uh, but, you know, for example, uh, past presidents have disarmed the uh, local police in the country. Uh, and there's been a lot of corruption. When I was giving talks to police groups in last August, one of the things that police would tell me over and over again is the saying, either accept silver or bullet. Basically, you either accept the bribes or they kill you. And a lot of the police would tell me that uh, 60% or more of the police were taking bribes from the drug cartels. So there's a lot that they have to do here. Wow. So um, getting back to uh, the United States of America, the shootings in Kansas City, what do you make of what's being reported about that? And, and how, how is that is uh, likely to compare to what actually happened? Right. Well, I mean, I think one thing is pretty clear. You had two gangs, probably drug gangs, uh, get into a skirmish with each other. And, uh, you know, I kind of wish the media, rather than just talking about it, is, or the police there just talking about it, be some type of disagreement that two people have to be a little bit clearer on uh, exactly who's involved with this. And, and it's, I think if they were more honest with us, it would kind of make it a lot more difficult for a lot of the narratives that are being put out there. So, for example, uh, we hear calls for uh, gun control here afterwards. You know, the notion that you're going to be any more successful in stopping drug gangs from getting a hold of guns than you've been in terms of stopping them from getting a hold of drugs to sell just isn't serious. I mean... Uh, 
I assume most people don't think we've been particularly successful in stopping drug gangs from getting a hold of uh, uh, illegal drugs. And, you know, it's not like uh, a, a drug gang can go to the police and say, look, this other gang stole our drugs. Can you help us get them back? They have to set up their own little militaries in order to protect that extremely valuable property that they have. And even if by magic I could click my fingers and cause all uh, guns in the United States to disappear and all illegal drugs, how, how quickly do you think it would be before drugs started coming back into the United States? If you live in El Paso, 20 minutes? And how, how long do you think it'd be before they'd be bringing in the weapons that they need to protect that extremely valuable property that they have? They'd be bringing them in at the same time. And, uh, you know, it's the type of thing we see around the world uh, and other places. Uh, you know, Mexico uh, has had one gun store in the country since 1972. Uh, they The most powerful gun that you've been able to legally buy in Mexico since 1972 is a 22 caliber short round bolt action rifle. Uh, and yet, even though they've had such draconian gun control laws, it's less than one tenth of 1% of the population legally licensed to own a gun. Uh, their murder rates have more than doubled since that law went into effect. Uh, in some recent years, uh, their murder rate has been as high as six times higher than the murder rate in the United States. And, you know, the drug gangs in Mexico are getting a hold of uh, uh, the weapons from around the world, just as they're bringing in uh, the illegal drugs from around the world. Well, um, so there is there still only one gun store in Mexico? Yep. One. One gun store. It's in Mexico City. It's run by the military. Even, even the twenty-two caliber short round bolt action rifles, which I guarantee you are not the guns that are the drug cartels are using uh, are extremely expensive and just to apply for a license in Mexico costs like $2,500 and, and it's very unlikely that you'll get approved even if you pay the $2,500 process. Well that, that seems like a pretty good deal for the, uh, for the crime committing community they know that nobody has a gun I mean, they don't, them. That's exactly right and that's the problem you have to worry about in the United States when they're talking about all these different types of gun control laws, you have to be careful that you're not passing gun control laws that are just primarily going to disarm law-abiding good citizens. I'll give you a simple example. In the United States, in Chicago and Washington, D.C., we tried having handgun bans. Uh, you look any place in the world that's banned either all guns or all handguns, every single time murder rates have gone up. You'd think out of randomness, once or twice, it would go down. Even in island nations, which you think would be kind of the ideal experiment, where they don't have some neighbor that they can go and blame uh, for supplying the guns, mm -hmm. murder rates have gone up sometimes three, four, even sevenfold after the ban. And there's a simple reason for that. And that is, if you pass these laws, and it's overwhelmingly the most law-abiding good citizens who obey them. You may take a few guns away from the criminals, but if you're primarily disarming the law-abiding good citizens, uh, you just make it easier for the criminals to go and commit crimes because they don't have to worry about somebody being able to go and defend themselves. And as you mentioned, uh, and I think everybody knows now, the shooters in Kansas City were teenagers. But right. uh, 
within, you know, 15 minutes after it happened, Joe Biden was out there saying we need stricter gun laws. Are they ever specific about which laws they think would have prevented it? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, they often bring up these things. So that after the Uvalde report came out, Biden listed three different gun control laws that he needed to have. One, the first one, his first priority, was getting background checks on the private transfers of guns, uh, these so-called universal background checks. But would it have stopped Uvalde? No. Would it have stopped any mass public shooting this century? No. But the press doesn't ask him. I, 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 it just drives me crazy that the press will go, you know, will just repeat this as the solutions to it. And you would think somebody would say, okay, you want your, your first solution is background checks. On, would it have stopped that attack? Why is this the number one proposal that you're putting forward if it wouldn't have stopped the attack? Yeah. Um, there was a lot of talk in the immediate aftermath about the fact that Missouri had uh, passed a constitutional carry law in 2017. Right. What? Well, yeah, what? I mean, if okay, you look at the, the murder rates or the violent crime rates, violent crime actually has fallen. Uh, there's been an increase in murders, but it's much less. It's like half the increase between uh, uh, 2016 and 2021 of the national increase. I mean, murder rates across the country went up in 2020 and 2021, but they went up much less in uh, Missouri than they went up in the rest of the country. And the increases were limited, really, to uh, – Kansas City and St. Louis, which are run by Democrats and which were cutting back on police and doing other things, having uh, a district attorney in St. Louis County who, uh, you know, didn't want to prosecute violent criminals. So, you know, they can go and blame uh, the increase uh, in murders for, uh, for the constitutional carry bill. But you know, presumably they're going to have to explain why it went up much less there than the average for the rest of the country and why, you know, they don't believe things like having a Soros-backed prosecutor who's not who's refusing to prosecute all sorts of uh, violent criminals, uh, why they don't think that's responsible for the, uh, the increases that primarily occurred in St. Louis and also uh, Kansas City. Well, I have a few minutes left here, and I, I want to make sure I ask you this because this is what's been this is what drives me crazy. Uh, I've been asking, I've been asking up on X, Twitter, whatever you want to call it, for the last three or four days. Has anybody seen or heard a story about anybody investigating where these teenagers got their guns? And right. I, I'm, I've yet to have anybody tell me that they found one. Maybe there's one out there somewhere, but I haven't seen it. And here's the thing, John. This is what I don't understand. You have teenagers with guns. Right. Now, but it's illegal for them to have the guns. Right? Yeah, yeah, but it's, it's teenagers with guns who just killed somebody. And, right. And any other thing like this, if a teenager uh, is out driving around in a car when he's 14, somebody will say, who allowed him in the car? How did he get in the car? How is right. it that that's not the first question that people are asking? Wait a minute. This kid's 16 years old. Where did he get the gun? Nobody asks. Right. Why is that? Well, I can tell you why. Well, look, if it was somebody that went into 
uh, uh, mass public shooting in a mall or a school or something like that, they would ask and they would, there'd be news reports on it. The reason why there are no news reports on this is because they're obviously drug gang members and, uh, and, and it goes against the narrative because people would know that it's basically impossible to go and stop them from getting the guns. Just as we're going to be successful in doing that and stopping them from getting the drugs. And so they don't want to point out the fact that how difficult it is to stop drug gang members and gang members from getting guns. And, and so that's the reason why they ignore that here. Because they don't want to make it clear to people uh, how hard it is to stop them. We're talking to John Lott Jr. He's the president of the Crime Prevention Research Center. Okay, so that's that is maybe uh, I can understand the people not wanting to um, go against the narrative, or they don't want the the truth to come out, as you just described there. But what about law enforcement? If, if when they have these kids, uh, I don't know how right. much you you look into this stuff. This kid gets arrested. He's he's still in in uh, in behind bars somewhere, juvenile detention or somewhere. Yeah, sure, right. What well, are I'm they? Sure, he's being held as an adult. Yeah, but what are they saying to this kid? Hey, kid, are they asking him where he got the guns? Or are they saying, "Listen, you're going to go to you might you might only go to jail for 25 years uh, for this because you're going for a long time, but if you don't tell us where the gun is, you're, you're, we're going to make sure you go for 50. How about that? I mean, do they ever use the the, the their uh, power to get this information out of people? Or, do they, or right. is it more more likely that they they use them as as uh, plea bargaining, and they 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 tell them that, that uh, you know they're just gonna, the 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 gun the gun will we'll let will we'll let the gun charge go if you just tell us you know who shot who. Right. Look, I I don't know what the strategy is right now for them, but surely all sorts of types of plea bargain deals. Hopefully, they're bringing up and they're raising. Uh, for these individuals that are there, uh, you know, given the number of people who were injured, uh, they're facing a lot of penalties mm-hmm. for that, to be honest. And, uh, you know, so how much they're going to be able to reduce it is going to be limited. But how often are uh, they really... how often are they are they pleading out the gun law and just forgetting about the gun laws in order to make it easier to get the murder conviction or whatever it is they're looking for, and they just drop the gun issue. Oh, yeah, that's true all the time. I mean, you look at violent criminals, basically the people who get hit with gun charges are basically otherwise law-abiding citizens who maybe made a mistake on something. Yeah. But if you're talking about somebody who's a violent criminal, uh, you know, Usually it's only the top charge that they go and get them after. You know, they don't go and get them for illegally carrying a gun. They don't get them for, uh, you know, illegal possession of a gun. They don't get them for all sorts of other penalties that they could get them that way. So, I mean, it's disappointing. You kind of wonder what's the point of having them those types of laws on the books. But uh, unfortunately, that's that's the way it goes. Well, hey, John, um, I'm, I'm really, uh, uh, I really appreciate the fact that you took the time. I know you just got off a plane and you have work to do in Ecuador, and I'm sure we'll talk again soon. But I appreciate you coming on today. Uh, I appreciate you being there. Okay, so, thank, right, thank you, thank you. That's John Lott Jr., 
Crime Prevention Research Center. We'll be right back. Well, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, and in case you've forgotten, today is President's Day. It's when we celebrate uh, Lincoln and Washington, both of whom born in February. seems to me there used to be a Lincoln's birthday and a Washington's birthday, and they put them together and they put them on a Monday. It's one, one, uh, <laughs> I'm still waiting for when they put Ju- the 4th of July, Independence Day, on like July 3rd because it's a Friday or a Monday. That's, what, that's coming. You know that's coming. Um, but so it is President's Day. So some organization known as the American Political Science Association, I am, I'm a little suspicious of who it, you know, I, I don't know, I don't know if it's a liberal group or what, but they came out, I guess they do this every year. They came out with their presidential rankings and for some reason they, they tend to fluctuate. So it's 154 members of the American Political Science Association. They released their latest presidential rankings. Okay, here's what you have. Abraham Lincoln is number one. Eh, you know, okay, some people might argue with that. Franklin Delano Roosevelt is number two. Now, he's the guy that brought socialism to the United States, so I'm not a big fan of his. Washington is three. Teddy Roosevelt is four. Jefferson's down there at five. I don't know. I think i got to put up him up ahead of FDR. Obama is seven, right behind Truman and right ahead of Eisenhower. LB Johnson is LBJ is nine. Kennedy is ten. James Madison is eleven. Bill Clinton is twelve. Bill Clinton is ahead of John Adams. And then you know who's number fourteen? The big guy. Joe Biden is the fourteenth best president in the history of the United States. He's right he's only ahead of um Ronald Reagan, Ulysses S. Grant, Monroe, John Quincy Adams, uh, Andrew Jackson. You know, let's see who else he's ahead of. Well, there's a bunch of them in there, obviously. But um, then you have the number 45. Guess who's number 40? So a wild guess of who is the 45th ranked president, according to this group. Donald J. Trump. How much faith do you have in this list? 45 for Trump, 14 for Biden, and he's ahead of the people I mentioned there. Thanks a lot. See you next year on that list. Talk to you uh, tomorrow. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.